Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. I want to continue in our weekly Passion to Pentecost series as we're looking at the days in between the first roots and the Omer count beginning all the way through to Pentecost, the 50th day feast that God had commanded, the Feast of Weeks. And so today in this second week, I want us to talk about acceptance. As we go through the Omer days of counting between first fruits and Pentecostal Shavuot, seeing these 50 days in a special light as we examine those days after Jesus' resurrection in fulfillment of first fruits, now I want us to consider another topic sometime after the initial actions of Jesus in that first week or so after he arose. So now we're going to look at the third time he appeared specifically to some individuals. And I want to see the special topic of discussion that he had. And I believe it can be summed up in the word acceptance. I want us to look at John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved from, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. In other words, John is saying it was me. I'm the one who witnessed all of this. I was the one that was that Peter was talking about with Jesus there. I know that I saw what I saw. I heard what I heard. My testimony is true. Continuing in the reading, verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. And so this is how John concludes his gospel with this encounter, with this detailed event. So we read in John 21. Let's go back and look at several things from this chapter. First of all, it starts off after these things. In other words, it's the Greek words metatauta. It means after the things that happened before or what comes hereafter. So in other words, it refers us back to chapter 20 and what John has just recorded, which was Jesus' resurrection, his appearance to the disciples on that same day, and his appearance to Thomas and the disciples eight days later. This is now Jesus' third specific appearance after he had arisen. Now this is probably not very long after he saw them with Thomas, but it was some time later. There was a time lag of some sort. We do not know if it was just a few days, a week. We don't know the exact time difference. But the disciples' words and actions in these early verses tend to show us that. Because when you look in the Greek, and you look up Peter's declaration, I'm going fishing. And the disciples that were with him said, okay, we'll go with you. Peter was saying, I'm going back to fishing. In other words, I'm departing. I'm going away from y'all. I'm going away from this. I don't know what happened to Jesus. I haven't seen him since we saw him with Thomas. And I'm going back to fishing. In essence, he was saying, I'm retiring. I'm just departing. I'm going back. You can search through the New Testament for the word that is used there, and you will see that in many examples, it speaks of either retiring or going away, departing from something. 
when the disciples responded, they said, well, we'll go with you. They just, they were just using the regular go word to signify, okay, we'll do that too. But they weren't meaning the same thing that Peter was meaning. Peter was thinking he was into retirement. He was thinking that this was it for him. He was going back to fishing. He hadn't seen the Lord. And we got to remember who Peter was and what he had just recently done. So we're told that this happens at the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, or the Canaseret Sea. Seven of the disciples were together. There was Peter and six others. We've given the names of several of them. And then we're just told that there were two others. We don't know which two. Peter tells them, basically, I'm getting out of here. I'm departing. I'm retiring. I'm going back to fishing. I'm done. Now, this was a more serious meaning of this Greek word that was used here. So we got to remember who Peter was. Remember, Peter was the one that had stood up at the last supper, the last Passover supper, and said, Lord, everybody else here might deny you, but I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll go with you to the very end. I'm going to be faithful. You can count on me. So perhaps because of what happened, he viewed himself as the black sheep among them, so to speak. And he still had the shame and remorse from the fact that he did not, in fact, stand up and be loyal to the Lord. He had not seen Jesus in a bit of time. The text indicates that some time had lapsed. Perhaps he was discouraged. Perhaps he thought that he was the problem. Perhaps he thought that Jesus had given up on him and that Jesus did not want him anymore and that he was no longer accepted. So the other six disciples, they, they think he's just meaning he's going, you know, out on the boat and he's going to have fun fishing on a normal expedition because they would do that periodically. So they said, well, we'll go too. It's not the same word. They were just going on an excursion, but they were not saying, I'm retiring. I'm departing from the Lord. I'm getting out of here. As what Peter was intending to do. Now, we notice here that it was a very futile attempt at their fishing. These were skilled fishermen, and yet they came back empty-handed. There had been no blessing and no fruitfulness from the Lord at this futile attempt. So perhaps Peter was even more depressed, more discouraged, more angry, whatever. But Jesus shows up. Note that he always shows up at the exact right time. Jesus had a special purpose for this. He waited until they had made this decision, particularly Peter. He waited until they had tried on their own effort without him and without his blessing to see what they could do on their own apart from him. And then he comes to all of them. Notice his actions and his interactions here. He lovingly watches them. He lovingly calls to them. And then he calls to them in their empty adventure, and he tells them, cast on the other side. Cast on the right side of the boat, and you will find fish. If fish were there, let me ask you this question. If fish had been there before Jesus said these words, does it matter which side of the boat that they would have fished on? I don't believe so, because if they were over a school or pod or whatever you call it, a grouping of fish, they would have been able to see that and catch from either side. 
So this was a miracle that Jesus did with the fish. This was not a natural thing. They had been out there and there were no fish in that area until Jesus did this miracle. I want you to also note that in this particular miracle, the fish are counted and the number is given to us. Now they would have counted all the fish. Jesus even spoke of that in, in an earlier parable when he talked about, you know, some bad fish and some good fish getting caught in the net. He said, we'll separate them at the end. You know, you don't have to worry about that. You just go catch the net, catch all the fish, and we'll separate them because that's what they would do. They would cast the bad ones back and they would keep the good ones. So there was a counting of the fish. But in this particular episode, it's recorded for us. Most miracles that Jesus had done in regard to a multiplying of fish, there was no specific count given to us. But even this counting is significant. The counting here could easily have represented the entire world at that time. Today, there's about 197 countries or so that we know of in existence at this time. In this episode, when Jesus is bringing in this miraculous catch of fish for them on this morning after his, he had re resurrected from the dead earlier, they counted 153. I believe it is significant. I carried this into my message earlier. There's one in the archives called Fishing in the Wrong Pond. And I brought it out in this episode, some of the nutshell of what I will speak of here. 150, I believe, was very significant because I believe it may have represented the entire world at that time. Jesus was giving them a statement through this miraculous count of the fish about what pond, so to speak, or what sea they were called to fish in. In scripture, many times sea is representing. We see that throughout scripture in a few different places. See, many times represents people. John realized in this moment that this was a miracle done by the risen Lord and that that was the Lord who was speaking to them. Remember, they had seen Jesus do miracles with fish prior to this. So note that Jesus has cooked breakfast for them. They've got fish and bread for breakfast and he's cooking the fish over an open fire. But then he tells them this interesting thing in verse 10. He tells them to bring some of the fish you caught. Not because Jesus needed to cook extra fish, but this was a statement in this context. In other words, they were going to be fishing, yes. But right now they were fishing in the wrong time. They're going to be fishing in the sea of the world. They're going to be fishing for souls. In a harvest of the Lord, they're going to be spreading the gospel and they're going to be successful in that. Jesus was telling them their state, this statement in this context, you bring some of the fish. You are going to be fishing and you're going to be fishing for me and you're going to be successful. You're going to have a harvest fruit from your labors and Jesus will accept their labors, and the fish that they will catch. Note also, although there were so many in that net, the net was not broken. This represents that there will be even more harvest to come. They'll use the same net 
the same gospel. There's one net. There's one gospel. And that net is not broken. And it will never be broken. It represents a successful harvest when we catch the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the sea of the world, that there will be even more that will get into the net. There will be even more success in that endeavor. They would be fishing again. The net was not broken. But Jesus is now going to redirect their fishing to the right place because sea in Scripture many times represents people. It's a powerful statement about the gospel spreading through them, and they're going to fish successfully whenever they will obey Jesus' command and fish where he sends them. Because remember, when he first called them in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, it tells us this. When he first called his disciples, he said to them, it says this, then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Their job was that they were going to fish for men in the sea of the world. They were going to bring in a harvest of souls to Jesus through the spreading of the gospel. Note this. This was prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 16 that the Lord was going to do this. And I want us to look at Jeremiah chapter 16 in verse 14 through 17. We're going to see how Jesus himself is fulfilling prophetic words here and all of his disciples since him will be a part of this fulfillment. Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 14 through 17 says this, Therefore behold the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall be, that it shall no more be said. The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. So Jeremiah prophetically tells that the Lord is going to call fishermen to fish for men, to fish for people. In this prophetic word, Jesus now comes along and fulfills this by calling disciples and telling them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, exactly what Jeremiah had prophesied. And so here the fish in Jeremiah in the context tells us it's people in the context of Jeremiah, it's specifically the people of Israel. But when we consider Jesus' miraculous miracle here, doing the 153 count, he's saying, I'm expanding the gospel. Yes, you're going to fish the Jews, but you're also going to fish the rest of the world. You're going to expand the gospel to the Jew and the Gentile alike. You're going to reach all the world. And when you do, I want you to bring me the fish you catch. You're going to bring them to me. You're going to go get them. You're going to tell them how much I love them. So Jesus is telling them and affirming to them they're going to be ministers of his 
to all of the world, and he's going to accept their harvest. He's going to accept the fruit from their labors. So then Jesus has breakfast with them. It's a fellowship meal with them. It's a comforting meal with them. It's inclusive of them, and it's a way where he shows them acceptance. And then in John chapter 21, there's even more to come. Now he concentrates specifically on Peter. But why? Well, I believe it's because of Peter's earlier actions and his repentance. Let's look at Matthew chapter 26, and I want to read verses 69 through 75. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he, meaning Peter, went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. This was speaking of sincere repentance that he had. He was truly sorry that he had done this to Jesus, and Jesus knew it. He knew that his heart was truly repentant. So now Jesus comes focusing on Peter to prove his acceptance again of Peter, to reaffirm Peter. And this speaks to all of us who have failed the Lord. Maybe we've known him and our heart truly is after him, but we failed him from time to time. And when we do, we're truly repentant. Jesus knows that, and he's never casting us away. He's always receiving us back. He's always reaffirming us, and this is what was happening here. Jesus is reaffirming Peter. Peter had issued three denials of the Lord, and so Jesus now gives him three affirmations from his own mouth. Jesus asked him to confirm his love in these affirmations, and this will seal that. This will reaffirm him. This will restore him. So he asked Peter three times, and he's doing this to reaffirm Peter's true heart and to accept him back, to reaffirm him completely as his chosen disciple. The Greek words that are used here are very interesting because in Jesus' first two questions, when he asked him, Peter, do you love me? He is saying, Peter, do you agapeo me? In other words, do you love me enough that you would lay down your life for me? Do you love me enough that you will sacrifice everything that is ever asked of you for me? And Peter comes back with another form of love. Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you as my best friend. I love you dearly as a friend 
and I'm very fond of him. In the third time, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? This time, he does not use the word agape. He uses phileo. Peter, do you really phileo me? And Peter gets mad at him then. He gets kind of irritated and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that deep in my heart, I truly do phileo you. And Jesus accepted Peter right there where he was. Because Jesus knew that by the end of Peter's life, Peter will have developed agapeo love for Jesus because Peter would willingly go to a martyr's death by that time. And he would tell them, according to tradition, that he was not worthy to be crucified as Jesus was. And so he chose to be crucified upside down. Peter learned by that time and truly did agapeo Jesus. But Jesus accepted him right where he was. At that point, Peter was still in a state of phileo love for the Lord. And Jesus accepted that. And Jesus will do the same for us. He accepts us where we are, but he loves us enough that he'll begin to work in us from there to become who we should be, exactly like he did with Peter. Because he accepted Peter back, he affirmed Peter's calling and his commission as one of the disciples. And he tells Peter, this is your job. You've got to feed and tend to my flock. The shepherd's job was to watch over the flock. The shepherd's job was to feed the flock, including the little lambs and the adult or grown sheep. Jesus was telling him, you're going to be a shepherd for me. Your job is the job of a pastor or a shepherd. Peter was called to be a shepherd. And Jesus reaffirmed that here. And Peter became instrumental in the beginnings of the church and the expansion of the gospel. You can read much more about that in the book of Acts. You can see how Peter is used mightily of the Lord there. And you can read First and Second Peter, the two epistles that he wrote. Peter never forgot that he had a chief shepherd. He mentions him in his epistles. But Peter was also used mightily in the early church. He became a leader of the early church. And then he had James installed to carry on behind him. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And so Peter became a mighty leader in the early church. Satan had tried to sift Peter. Jesus warned him, if you'll remember, at the Last Supper. I've covered this in more detail in an episode that I did also in the archives called Peter Sifted as Wheat. And I bring out the importance of what Satan was trying to do and how Jesus even reaffirmed Peter in telling him that because he says, when you are restored, then you're going to strengthen the brethren. And there's a powerful message in that because of the sifting process and how Peter was going to be used like wheat. And Peter was beginning at the wheat harvest of Shavuot, which will come 50 days after the resurrection. Peter later taught us the 
job of a pastor and a shepherd of the flock. And this is still true today for jobs of pastors, jobs of leaders in the church. We're not talking about a shepherding. There was a shepherding movement. That is not what we're talking about. That is not a book. But we are talking about leading the flock, feeding them, and taking care of them as unto the Lord. Paul also did this very well, and we see portions of that and his instructions on that in Acts chapter 20, as well as in many of his epistles. But I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and the first few verses. I'll begin in verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. In other words, he's telling him, you do the same thing that Jesus told me i got to do. You feed his sheep. You feed and take care of his flock, both the little ones and the grown ones. Verse 2 again, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. In other words, you do it with all your heart. You do it willingly as unto the Lord. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. You don't go after them for money. You don't try to fleece the sheep. You feed the sheep. You don't fleece them. Verse 3. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So in other words, you're not supposed to lord anything over them and force them or bring them into compulsion with this. You feed them. You give them the good food of the word of God and let God do the work in them. Be examples to them. You live it out. You live what you preach. You live what you teach them. And verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears. See, Peter always remembered. There was a chief shepherd much higher than him. The chief shepherd had called him as an under-shepherd. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So Peter shares with us how to shepherd the flock. God had an overall plan for Peter and all of the disciples, and Jesus restored every one of them here in John chapter. He accepted them. He also speaks of John. He accepted John back. He accepted all of these disciples and had this fellowship meal with them again. He also showed Peter, you follow me. You focus on your ministry to me. John's ministry is different. His is my concern, but you concentrate and obey me yourself. So we got to remember to do our ministry unto the Lord and not be worried about somebody else. So we find acceptance being the evident theme in John chapter 21. Praise God for John's writing for us of John chapter 21, telling us about this encounter, telling us about the acceptance that Jesus gives to people who've messed up. He will reaffirm us when we repent. He will reestablish us and reaffirm the calling he's placed on our life. And this gives us great hope. Praise God for the acceptance that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus gives to those of us who fail him sometimes. And we can stand up and 
pick back up again and go forward doing what he's called us to do. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future messages and future lessons in this series, Passion to Pentecost, Volume 2. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.